This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hello, everyone. This is Paul Parisi with the Edge of Innovation. I'm here with Ed Alexander of FanFoundry.com. Hello, Ed. Hey, Paul. It's nice to be back again. Thanks for inviting me. Things must have gone well last time, I guess. Well, yes, exactly. (laughs) We've had billions and billions of listens just of our episodes, so I don't exaggerate ever. But I thought we had a great discussion on all things sort of marketing and the digital age. And today we have a couple of topics we'd like to touch on, but I think today we're going to focus on SEO, which is the acronym for Search Engine Optimization. What is search engine? What is optimization? What is all that? So let's get into that. So when you hear the word SEO, what do you think of? That's a great start for a question, Paul. When I hear the word SEO, it's often out of the mouths of babes, right? A client or a prospect saying, what do you know about SEO, Ed, or Paul, for the whoever you happen to be that day? And I simply answer that question with a question, and my question is this. When you think of SEO, what are you thinking? What are you trying to do? You're trying to get visitors to your website? You're trying to game Google and search engines? What do you think that that involves, and what's your positioning about that? Right. And I get responses along the lines of, yeah, affirmative, that's all we're interested in, but we really don't know enough about it. All we know is it works for some people, and we really haven't explored it enough to really know what we're doing. Right. Can you help us there? I always hear SEO, and I sort of hear people saying, I need SEO, like a bucket of SEO or a jar of peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) They want to just buy it. That's right. uh, Take a side of SEO, please. Well, is it a side? Or is it a, a main course? <laughs> and I think that really gets into your, your point there. What do you want to accomplish with it? Sure. So, so it's not the main course. It promotes the main course, right? Right. So I think of SEO as having three main definitions, no matter who's approaching it or what they're talking about. First one of them is they want good quality visitors to their website. Okay. Notice I said good quality, not quantity, because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wants to be inundated with interruptions from people who will never buy. So you want to talk about quality traffic. You okay. want the right people to be knocking on your door. And the second one, the right closely following that, is quantity of quality visitors, right. <laughs> a large number of quality visitors. Right. So splitting hairs, but you get where I'm going with this. Right. And the more people who hear about that, the more they shit their heads and say, yeah, yeah, that's more like it. Right. I want quality visitors, and I want lots of them, not just lots of visitors. Right? And then, of course, I also want that just to happen on its own. It has to be organic. Whatever effort I do, whatever levers I pull, I'd like to have, to have some kind of a multiplier effect because we all have the same 24-hour clock. I can't scale my attention in time and have a balanced life. So how do we scale it? How do we multiply the benefits and the effects of it? So when I hear those things and those, that's my sort of series of definitions of what SEO could possibly mean. Now, there's another one we haven't talked about, and that has to do with the history, kind of the DNA or the genesis of the whole SEO discipline, if you want to call it that. Meaning, there was a time most many people can remember where if you did certain things on your web page, you could cleverly, technically cause a landslide of attention to come to your website. You could be on page one of name the search engines, search results for some time. Or perhaps you could even purchase that position if you spent enough money, which is sort of 
If you're in the airline business and you're American Airlines, you can afford to do that, right? If you're in the banking and you're Bank of America, you can afford to do that. So money can talk. But even so, most of that has, I won't say it's vanished so much as Mm -hmm. it's become rarefied. And so that's business. If you're selling SEO services, it's probably not a game you want to be in because your feet will be held to the fire and it's it's a bottomless pit. You're always going to have to spend more money next week once this week's budget is worn out. So you're either spending a lot of your marketing dollars on gaming the ads to show up on a position on the search engines, or you're really trying to attract the right quality audience, period. Which game would you rather play? Which one's more evergreen, frankly? Certainly not the budget buster where you're buying an ad. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I don't really include in SEO the notion of buying advertising. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a related... Technique. Exactly. It's a related but separate topic. Right. So what are the things you can do if you don't have a budget a billion-dollar budget that will at least generate quality leads. Right. And over time, with you know a tenacity and persistence, mm-hmm. quality flow of leads into your business. Well, there are some things you can do in their basics. And when I think of basics, I think of starting by researching your topic well enough to get an idea of how it's regarded. Okay. There are pretty easy tools if you're in business and you don't have a big budget. You can do things for free. There's You can use Google Trends. Mm-hmm. I love Google Trends because I can research the right approximate title to use right. for a blog article. So, okay, you mentioned Google Trends. Yes, thank you. What is Google Trends? It's a free tool. It's available from Google. You can just search on trends.google.com or just use Google search engine or Bing or whatever and search on the key phrase Google Trends and it'll pop up. It's a website. Okay. It's a free what website. Do do with, what do I do with it? Think of it as another search engine that gives you an additional layer of intelligence. So if I'm selling shoes, I can go into Google Trends and type in shoes? You can start by typing in shoes, but you and I know that a single word like shoes is a bit broad. Think long tail. Yeah, think long tail. Think phrase and think multiple words. So let's use shoes for an example. Maybe it's snowshoes, and you want to look at the trends and people searching on the word snowshoes over time. Has snowshoeing, for example, you can ask yourself and pose the question, has snowshoeing become a more or less popular pastime in the winter? Were more people searching on snowshoes last winter than the winter before? Can you see that? What are the trends? Sure. So it allows me to say... Okay, there were 1,000 last year, and there's 50 in June. It's almost. Uh-huh. If we look at Google Trends right now, if you close your eyelids and the, the graph on the back of my eyelids shows me a trend graph, mm-hmm. not numerical, but simply a trend line okay. that shows me on a seasonal or calendar-wise, date-by-date, okay. slice-and-time basis, where the ebbs and flows and peaks and trend lines are. Does it are. Have any magnitude? It typically uses a... 100% factor saying at some point in time, this was the highest amount of search that ever occurred. Okay. Maybe it was last year this time, and that, becomes, you your, and that becomes your 100% point. Right. And, and anything has been either... Exactly right. Exactly right. It doesn't so, tell us that there was one search or a thousand searches. Correct. It never tells you the count of searches. Okay. It tells you the trend over time based on a base of 100, which is the highest or low of whatever it is you're trying to search on and measure. So So if you see a trend line that says, uh, geez, two years ago, only um, 50% as many people were looking for snowshoes as are looking for it today during this winter season buying snowshoes. That tells me that maybe if I'm a retailer and I'm in the uh, outdoor apparel business, I may want to think about stocking more snowshoes this time around than last year and making sure people know that I have that product. Okay so that I can sell more of what people are looking to buy. I see. 
You're meeting the market based on what it's telling you its trend is. Okay. Likewise, on Converse, if you find out that the trends in snowshoes have sort of gone down a bit, mm-hmm. you may want to hedge the bet and say, I'm not going to pre-order too many snowshoes this year only because uh, that's inventory not paying its rent on the shelves and okay. the fact that I could rather fill with a more popular item. Sure. So a retailer can make some judgments about their inventory and their forecast sales based on what they see happening in the snowshoe world. And does it go back more than a year? You can slice it by a year. Two or up to five years. Okay, so I can look at periodic, you know, periodic events. So every December, snowshoes searches goes up. Mm-hmm. So now I'd say, okay, so we're talking about search engine optimization. Yeah, and specifically now, about Google Trends as a tool. Right, but here's the thing. This is where I think it gets fuzzy for people, is we're not really optimizing the search engine. No, we're, we're not. optimizing our website so the search Thank engine you. likes it. Exactly right. You're not gaming the search engine. I like to, to sure. Well, what you're doing is making some reasonable assumptions based on uh, historical data that you can have access to okay, through so this Google. Is good. So let's break this down. Yeah. I have a website. I'm yeah. an attorney in a community, mm-hmm. and I want everybody that's going to have a personal injury lawsuit. I want them to come to my website now. Maybe it's personal injury with an automotive vehicle, something strange. You know, so maybe it was electrocution. You specialize in electrocution cases. That's a lot easier to, I would imagine, manipulate the search engine on than it is on personal injury. Of course, because electrocution, along with personal injury, as I paraphrase, might give you a greater level of intelligence. And you've played right into the segue of the next thing that's available on Google Trends, which is, if you haven't seen it, folks, ever, is a series of similar searches performed by people looking on the same topic. You can learn approximate fuzzy matches of other kinds of similar searches that have been done that are in the same realm of topic that you've searched on. And you might even discover that there are some clever or more likely suspect ways of searching that seem to yield either better results than you've gotten using your search or different results that are worth knowing about because they they pertain. So let's, for for now, as one of our sort of proxy examples, use a law firm. Sure. For whatever you think about lawyers, let's just figure out how they would market themselves with search engine optimization. So you have a an attorney that has three attorneys in it. They all have good degrees from good colleges. They have some good referrals on there or testimonials, I guess, would be a good thing. They have a picture of their office and their phone number and a contact form. What's next? What do I do? If I, if I come to you and I'm that attorney and I say, gee, I want to optimize so that I come up in the town I work in. Two parts to that answer. One has to do with location-based, because you can say personal injury lawyer, Beverly, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and if your address is on your website and, say, the footer, so it's Mm -hmm. stamped on every page, it increases the likelihood that a person looking for personal injury lawyer in Beverly will find you. Okay. So location is certainly part of it. Your example earlier, Paul, having to do with the specialty, electrocution, personal injury, then means that your content on your website can be made more relevant if you write and speak authoritatively about your expertise in handling electrocution cases. If you've got that kind of case work, and it's the example you gave, the proxy example says, I've had a few of those cases, and I'm Mm -hmm. gathering a body of knowledge about that. That makes me a de facto something above rank amateur and approaching expert Mm -hmm. designation in that subject. So why not create that authoritative voice? And so helping people find you means having relevant content. 
Okay. So guess what? We're talking about blogging. We're talking about case studies. We're talking about getting content that's relevant to that topic on your website. Okay. It could be a PDF of a case <laughs> example. It could be a blog article surveying industry trends. It could be anything that's useful for a person who's searching for information about that to get the impression that you know your stuff so is in this topic. So Sure it is. It's okay. organic. Yeah. So I go and write a blog post. It establishes domain authority. It establishes your authority and your website's domain's authority on that topic. Which the search engines like. Exactly. Okay. So let's talk about the next sort of step in that. I publish, I write a blog that says, you know, we just helped this family who their son got electrocuted doing this and this and this, and it's a compelling blog. If I put that up, is it just going to be magically found by everybody? Magically, no. However, over time, and this takes can take weeks or months because the bots of the algorithms have to crawl, and so search engines are quite busy with the billions of pages that are available. It takes some time for that domain authority to establish itself. You can promote it, but at least be aware that over time, people searching on the topic will begin to discover you. How can you help matters? Mm -hmm. You can help matters by making sure your content is rich enough. I would rececommend a minimum 500 to 1,000 words. 30-word mm -hmm. blurbs, are, and they're ads. Okay. It's not enough to establish authority, really. So give, write long articles, write them authoritatively, and that gives the bots a reason to live. It gives them a reason to sure. crawl and something to feed on when they're crawling. So but how does the bot determine whether I am relevant or fictional? Great question. How can you take the word personal injury and electrocution and help enrich that as an authoritative link right. to good content of yours? Right. There's a concept that's not all that difficult to understand, but it's got a kind of a geeky phrase. It's called latent semantic indexing, okay. or LSI, as they say in the biz, okay. right? Think of latent semantic indexing as something that's simpler as metaphors or alliterative or approximately analogous terms that refer to electrocution, like words like zap or you know, injured electric socket. Mention the words or the equipment involved in some of the cases that you've covered right. and argued so that all the approximate context of the information enriches your authority on the subject because someone could be searching on electric socket, electrocution, mm -hmm. personal injury. Sure. All that's valid. All that's relevant. So, so, uh, so latent so semantic indexing, in summary, is nothing more than approximating the same subject matter without sounding like a robot when you type. Write a natural prose so it's conversational and right. accessible for readers and enrich it in such a way so that analogous information can also bring them to you. The simple example is if I use the word tree. If I'm a botanist and I'm searching on the word tree, right. I'm going to find information about trees. Yeah. And if I have, interestingly, a Bing or a Google search engine also frankly, tracks your behavior online, right. for better or worse. Let's just save now, for it's for the better, and here's why. If I'm a botanist, I'm also searching about seeds. I'm also searching about plants. Sure. And I you know, use the word tree to do a search. My search engine, if it's been at all tracking my progress, knows I'm searching for plant-based results. Mm -hmm. If I'm a logis logistics person, and I'm thinking about data trees, mm -hmm. the word, and I use the word tree in a search, it's probably not going to feed me information about trees and seeds and plants. Based right. on my search history, it's going to say, tree, oh, this is a logistics person, They're, and they've used searches on logic trees and on mm -hmm. forced ranking and other kinds of statistical methods, it's going to start interpret the word tree as saying, you want more like this. You want right. this kind of a tree result, not a plant. So we help ourselves along simply by making use of search engines, okay. and they in turn repay the favor by approximating our intentions based on what limited information we give them. Okay. So that's latent semantic indexing.
Is that specifically when I'm preparing the blog post? Is latent semantic indexing taking into account what I'm writing in the blog post, or do I do I do that myself? It's a duality sort of thing. It's uh -huh. a it's a closed loop sort of conversation. Right. I, the author, am having a conversation with the reader, saying I'm talking about as the lawyer, the electrocution, personal injury mm -hmm. case, and I'm going to use a number of things to describe the circumstances in which that happened, and those are all relevant to the electrocution and personal injury case. Okay. If I'm a person on the other side of the looking glass who's searching on that information, I can think of a number of different approximate but not quite the same terms to do a search. It'll still bring me back to that content that you wrote. I see. Because that's, that's a function of the search engine. Yeah, it's a function of a search engine bot. So th this is a great conversation to have because it goes back to my earlier statement about gaming the search engines. Right. It used to be you could figure out, mm -hmm. you know, how to use, frankly, gray or black hat tactics sure. to key load and stuff words onto your website to improve its search engine ranking. And that's of course, has been debunked and, frankly, circumvented right. by sophistication of search engines. So you can't game it that way anymore. I'd like to say that we're no longer algo slaves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're no longer slaves to the algorithm. And, frankly, there's no more algo terrorism either right, because right. you can't terrorize people with your algorithm if rich content is the intention. Right. And so those revisions to the way search is performed or search is executed on a search engine have improved so that we really get good quality results because that's after all what a Google or a Bing or a Yahoo really right. wants is for you to be happy with the results you get. Cybersecurity is critical for today's businesses. Savior Labs is a Boston cybersecurity firm that cares for your business and your team. We solve problems so you can focus on what you do best. Just follow the link in the show notes and enter code SECURITY for more information. So I've got this personal injury law website. What if I put a, a story, a fictional story about electrocution on there? How would the search engine see that? And how would it not know, it, or it may not know, and it may be to my benefit to do that, or it may be to my detriment. I'm wondering, because we've got to write good, rich content. So mm -hmm. if I took an Edgar Allan Poe story and changed a few words to electrocution and put that on the website, let's assume that there wasn't duplicate content, mm -hmm. but it was a rich story. Would that enter to my benefit or to my deficit? It would be an interesting test, I think. I suppose it would. I don't know that I know of anybody who's ever performed that kind of a test. Because I'm, my question is, is, okay, so... You go and you're my SEO expert. You, I've hired you, and you say, Paul, you're an attorney. You do this. Write a blog post about your three main cases that you won last year. So I run, write three articles, and we then post that one this month, one next month, one the month after. And what you're saying is in the physics of the situation, the search engines will consume that data, see words that are similar to electrocution, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, and correlate that and say there is something relevant here when somebody searches for that. And so I think, to put it simply, that search engine optimization is we have given the search engine something they can consume and then hand back to people within a certain scope of ideas. Is that fair? That's completely fair. You've interestingly, you've added a dimension, Paul, which is time. Uh -huh. You mentioned doing an article this month, yeah. an article next month, and an article the following month. So let's say you're that personal injury lawyer, and those are the three cases. That's it. I used up my caseload right. bucket. Let's beg the next question. A year from now, I have no new personal injury law right. cases. I did those three two years ago. I really want to do more of this kind of business. What's going to happen when a person searches on my content and they find 2012 or 2013 information? And that's the most recent. 
if it's relevant, that might still be, in, indulge someone's curiosity sure. enough to say, okay, I'm in, I'm clicking through. Mm-hmm. What about the skeptical person who's looking for current information? Maybe something as new has happened right. in the law practice or in the electrician business yeah. or anything at all new in society that might make that information, frankly, dated or irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It's helpful in a case like that if you're the author, you're the lawyer, you've written those articles, to refresh it from time to time, to keep it evergreen. If it in fact is evergreen, don't let a date reference ding you from the outset based on someone's superstition on that date. So you can refresh the content, maybe republish the same blog article and label it as an update. By the way, I will have new information that's changed in the face of this subject and I'm going to re publish this article because even though it was originally published in 2012, make all those transparent references so people know that you're republishing. I think that's a favor to the reader. Mm -hmm. But that improves the evergreenness of your content by keeping it fresh. Once again, it gets indexed, it gets crawled, the searcher searches, they find the result. It's a current result now, and it it helps with your authority from the viewpoint of a person who's concerned about the currency of your knowledge. All right, so I think to summarize that is you're saying you need to have some regular cadence of output so that the search engines keep consuming it. But I, I don't think you're saying that on month four you put up a cake recipe. That's not <laughs> as valid as saying emerging trends in personal injury. That would be better than putting up a cake recipe. Of course, relevant content. Okay. Right. Going back to the example I mentioned earlier at the outset about the three things that really come to mind when you think about what SEO is, uh-huh. it is quality referrals to my website yeah. neck and following below on that is the volume of quality referrals right and yeah. so you're absolutely right that plays into the first two okay. aspects well it sounds like we've solved search engine optimization solved is that, is, that, is that i mean i don't mean to be facetious but is that really simply what it is, is well sure we've covered doing research you got to research your topic find out how people are searching for that yeah. topic you're interested in publishing about and being found as an authority on that subject. The second part is becoming an authority, not in any genuine sense, right? Right. Publishing authoritative content because you deserve and you have that expertise, right? And then making it searchable by enriching it with analogous information and not write for search engines as opposed, excuse me, writing for humans as opposed Mm -hmm. to search engines. So it's authentic, it's authoritative, and it's human and inaccessible. Over time, that helps your search engine results. Will that necessarily learn you a page one Google search engine result? We talked about that a year ago when we last met and we were talking about the same subject. And my answer then is the same answer now, which is I'm not sure page one search result is necessarily the answer for one other reason, and we didn't talk about it last time. And that has more to do with a temporary situation, but it's an anomaly, and that is we see an awful lot of other kinds of information appearing on our search engine results. What's at the top of page one of a Google search now? Hmm. Ads. What's in the left sidebar? Ads. Mm -hmm. What's in the footer below the search engine results? Ads. You're lucky to see up to five organic results that match what you're searching on. So if I can rant about it again for a second, because I hate to love search engines Mm -hmm. and I love to hate them, is uh, 20 years ago it was great because an InfoSeed or an Excite or Mm -hmm. an AOL or a Ask Jeeves search engine, there were half a dozen of them that have all been weeded out since then. But if you did a search, you're searching on a, a, frankly, a brute force indexing method Mm -hmm. where any business would have to list itself in the 
there had to be like a yellow pages online, mm -hmm. frankly, before the notion that Google and Bing came along with, which is to use an algorithm to sort the data as opposed to individuals like you and me creating an entry in a directory right. on our own behalf. The algorithms changes haven't been as great in terms of their change, the amount of change that they forced on uh, right. the way we behave. What has happened is our own search engine results are getting cluttered by for-profit. Right. Okay. That's the game that people are competing in now. Frankly, I, I call it zombie search <laughs> because their search engine results aren't always going to land you on page one if you're not one of the top right. three. I'm not too worried about it. Most of us now have to click through the page two or three to get a sufficient result to actually see you know, right. the, the link we're really looking for, the content we really want to get to. Continuing on this, this attorney example. Sure. So they post something in November, in December, in January, three months. Is there an effective use of other blogs or getting people to reference you, that was always the holy grail, is to get inbound links. Mm -hmm. So at first, is that a good thing? I can't see how it's a bad thing, but is it the best thing? Is that what you should be investing in? Great question. Link exchanges or inbound links mm -hmm. is something that can happen organically if someone discovers right. you and decides to link back to you because you're their authority. Right. Buying them or manipulating or investing a lot of effort in uh, hoping that some other authority will link mm -hmm. back to you can be its own full-time job. Right. At the end of the day, you still have to make a buck running your business and plying your trade. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, well, to me, it's like having an ad budget. You'll always spend more because once you spent it, you keep, to keep up the pace, you have to spend more. Yeah, it's, it's a balance you need to decide to reconcile for yourself as a professional. Some amount of link exchange could happen over time just based on you being the authority as long as you have. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. I'll use my own business, but I'll make it an analogy for the lawyer as well. Mm -hmm. When I write a blog article, I make it a habit, to, if I, since I'm no genius and I'm usually referring other authoritative sources to help support whatever position I'm taking in my sure. blog article or the advice I'm getting, I'm going to refer back to either a customer example sure. or a white paper or a think tank or some other kind of authoritative source, or frankly, another piece of media publication right. that has been fodder or food or input for the blog article I'm writing to you today. Yep. Well, I like my readers to have access to the authoritative source, just not because I don't believe I'm worthwhile, but only because if a person wants to read more about it, why not make my blog article be the jumping off spot to go find more depth on that particular topic? Right. And I live link to it. But I also put the directory at the bottom of my blog, and I link outwards to the source I'm referring. So okay. I do more outbound linking than inbound. Right. The cool thing about that is anybody who's worth their salt doing SEO does a search on who's linked to their website yeah. and people discover that the Fan Foundry blog has an article that's referring to them because of the context in which sure. it appears. So my ethical goal is of course to make sure that what I'm linking, whoever I'm linking back to is worth their while. Mm -hmm. I'm not milking their URL as a link to me or a way right. to get attention. I'm doing it because I'm helping the reader. My intention right. is for people to help find good information. Sure, that's the top-level reason. But is there any hope for a quid pro quo? There is hope because it's happened. Okay. It's happened for me. Is, and that I, is a legitimate hope? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, so these links might engender backlinks. They might engender backlinks, but I'll make you no promises. Right. What I can say, though, however, is that I've been discovered, frankly, for some of my writings, by other authoritative sources who said, hey, geez, wouldn't you like to do a podcast with us? Mm -hmm. What are the chances, right? right? Maybe you'd like to speak at our convention. Or we have a client need that we can't solve, but you apparently can. Sure. It's paid off for me. I see. In all three of those ways. Oh, cool. 
So it's it's not necessarily the link building which is the end goal. The end result is are you providing benefit of, and some value to people mm -hmm. that they'll in turn either compensate or recognize for you for doing that. Okay. That's the fondest hope I can have for anybody is they're being beneficial to others. It's the old Boy Scout of me <laughs> rising yeah. to the surface. I was in Boy Scouts. Right. We've been talking with Ed Alexander of FanFoundry.com, and you'll be able to find more information about Ed and his company in our show notes, as well as links to some of the resources we've talked about. Thank you very much, and we look forward to you next time on the Edge of Innovation. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pd parisi this episode like all our episodes is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week